This is one of your co-hosts, Peter Bell, with a huge announcement. As of November 4th, guiltgracepod.com officially launches. Here on this new website, you can listen to all of our episodes categorized by season, speaker, and by type. There'll be a store where you can purchase mugs, shirts, hats, and a few other items, both with the logo you guys already know and a few other designs you have not yet seen, a place to donate, and also a blog with a few articles on books that you have not yet seen that don't make our regular podcast feed. But if you guys want more book recommendations that you have not yet seen, you'll find more book reviews, book recommendations on our blog and articles there as well. And guiltgracepod.com will be the hub of our upcoming confessional podcast network, which launches between Thanksgiving and Christmas of this year. This is a hub for all of your favorite confessional reform podcasts and a few you may not have heard of yet, all under the same umbrella of the confessional podcast network. Remember, Friday November 4th, this launches. So visit guiltgracepod.com. For all things guilt, grace, gratitude. This changes nothing about still finding this podcast and all your podcast catchers. It's just one stop shop for all things guilt, grace, gratitude. It's again, guiltgracepod.com, and we'll see you there. But in the earliest Christian manuscripts we have of scripture, we start to see little distinctions being made, spaces between paragraphs or even sometimes sentences. Uh, the very early embryonic use of punctuation. Uh, larger print, that is, you know, larger uh, writing, more legible uh, script, things like these that that make that make the enterprise of reading uh, more dem uh, democratic, you might say, uh, easier to read for more people. Mm. And I think that that does speak to uh, what that, that Christians wanted these books to be read. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we're doing Season 5 Apologetics episode. We have Charles Hill on. We're going to be talking about the four Gospels. And we're going to jump into this conversation here in a moment. Um, there was a few resources that we used. And, and uh, of course, Charles Hill is on the on this episode now. And, and Peter recently read the book, Who Chose the Gospels by Charles Hill, published by Oxford. <clears throat> And then I recently read the book, Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams. So there will be a uh, link and information resources to on our show notes to find those books and purchase them for yourself. The Peter Williams one is published by Crossway. So there'll be a link for Crossway. There'll be a link for Oxford. So you can pick up Charles Hill's who chose the Gospels book. And then there's some other links. There's a link to find the closest Reformed confessional churches near your area. So if you're looking for a church to call home or want to refer one to another person, click that link, type in the zip code. Those closest Reformed denominations will pop up. 
There's also information on how to connect with Peter and myself, just about the the conversations, dialogue about the the show in general. Uh, you can email us at uh, guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at guiltgracepod, same handle for both. You can find us on YouTube. These conversations are automatically recorded for viewership on YouTube. And so you just type in Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, hit subscribe. Uh, you can um, also contact us to become a bridge builder. So you you heard me mention uh, Logos Bible Software. We want to thank them. They're our main sponsor. Halfway through this episode, you'll hear some words from some of our other sponsors. But you as an individual can be a bridge builder as well. So you just click that Patreon link and find out different ways of how to keep our bandwidth growing uh, and, and fund things that we can keep the, the show going. Uh, we are growing um, at a good rate. So uh, if you're able, only if you're able to kind of throw in a little bit of money to help us out, greatly appreciate it. As always, if nothing else, the show is free for everybody in the world. So um, other than that, uh, I'll let Peter further introduce Charles Hill. Yeah, we have... Dr. Charles Hill, he joined the RTS Orlando faculty in 1994 to serve as John R. Richardson Professor of New Testament Early Christianity until his retirement in May 2021, taught core courses on Hebrews of Revelation, is now Professor Emeritus of New Testament and Early Christianity after receiving his PhD from Cambridge, and he also taught at Northwestern College in Iowa. So thanks for coming on, talking about these books and talking about the Gospels in general, Dr. Hill. Well, thank you very much. Quite an honor to be invited. Thanks. Yeah, it's 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 our honor and our uh, our privilege to have you on. And so, first question: It's not on the list that we sent you, but how is retirement life? <laughs> uh, it's busy, man. I never, you know, just have no time at all. <laughs> everyone, yeah, everyone. I feel like some professors sometimes think like retirement's easier than teaching, but I've heard quite the opposite most of the time. Yeah, well, um, somehow or other, the uh, we we happened to lose our our uh, lawn guy just about the time I retired. So mm. that's that's my main job right now. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, trying to do some writing and uh, and visiting kids. In fact, right now I'm at my uh, daughter's house in huh. North Carolina. So oh, cool. We're visiting. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, so for those who, who may not know who you are, um, don't know your work, don't know what you've done, uh, maybe let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you did for the past 30 years. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> right. Well, I was um, born and raised in Nebraska, um, lifelong Cornhusker fan. There you go. Dr. Uh, Dr. Clark, who listens to yeah. this show, is going to be very happy that you just yeah. said that. <laughs> Yes, um, <clears throat> Scott and I are the uh, Nebraska contingent, part of the Nebraska contingent in the Reformed world. So uh, right, very yeah. happy, very happy uh, about that. Uh, yeah, he and I go back a long way. I, we go back before he was our Scott Clark, <laughs> uh, when he was just uh, Scotty Clark. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I was uh, uh, born and raised there. Uh, in small town, uh, where my dad was the local pharmacist, hmm. so uh, brought up in the uh, United Methodist Church, actually, 
and um, didn't really encounter uh, reformed thought, reformed teaching until after I graduated from college, if you mm. believe that. Um, but ended up uh, having the opportunity to go to Westminster Seminary in California in mm -hmm. uh, what was their second, I think, second uh, enrolled class. Hmm. Um, yes, with um, with such luminaries as uh, Stephen Baugh, mm -hmm. one of my classmates. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, our Scott Clark came tagging along a year or so after that. Um, so that was that was a great time with uh, some of the, well, the founding uh, faculty of Westminster, California. Yep. Uh, then I uh, had the opportunity to do a PhD at Cambridge. Uh, came back and uh, uh, had my first position, teaching position, was at Northwestern College in Iowa. And then, as, as was already mentioned, in 1994, I came to uh, uh, RTS, uh, where I taught in the New Testament uh, department until retirement. Mm. Um, and I have uh, uh, a wife and three children, uh, and now six grandchildren. Mm. Uh, so that's um, that's been a, obviously a huge part of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that fills up your time. Yep. Yeah, I'm ordained in the uh, PCA. Okay. Cool. Good deal. So right. we got a URC guy for me. We have Nick who's OPC, and now we got Charles Hill who's PCA. We got yeah, got some of the bigger bases covered, even though yeah. URC is not very good. big. Now there's OPC. <laughs> PC makes that cake, even though we're all still pretty small. <laughs> together <laughs> we are part of the together. little flock. Yeah, together we're a little bit bigger, but still not very big. Yeah. So today we're talking about the four Gospels. So I guess it's good to just kind of lay some groundwork and uh, just some of the basics. Um, who were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Who were they? Well, um, it's interesting that no, no, none of the Gospels actually identifies any of their authors by name mm -hmm. uh, in the storyline of the Gospels. Uh, the traditional attributions to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come from, <clears throat> you might say, two main sources. Uh, one is the early testimonies of church writers that use these Gospels. Uh, they tell us who wrote them. And the, the very earliest copies that we have of these Gospels have the, the names of the authors in the titles. Um, either put to the beginning or the end, or sometimes the beginning or the end of the gospel. It's said, you know, it's, it's we're told this is the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, Luke, or John. So these, uh, these attributions in the manuscripts agree completely with the attributions in the church fathers. So that's, that's where we get the idea of uh, who the authors are. Of course, when we read the Gospels, we can fit some of this in to the authors that are that are mentioned. Uh, Matthew and John being counted among uh, Jesus' 12 apostles. Uh, Mark and Luke not among the 12 apostles. Uh, and that's a very interesting fact right, right then and there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> a lot of people have... have 
have um, observed that if you were if you were after the fact later on trying to promote a gospel that was let's say inauthentic and uh, you wanted you you'd probably want to attach an, an, an apostle's name to it but mark and luke uh, don't go go by any apostles names hmm. and that's uh, that's significant because they it shows they weren't just trying to uh, come up with uh, the most authoritative figures they could to attach to these books. Uh, they're really based on very long-standing tradition. And if you believe that these gospels were in use, actually in use from the time that they were you know, published, then you have a good uh, idea, a good case that these go back to the very beginning. Uh, the first people who used them would have known who wrote them. So uh, the fact that there is no no real substantial uh, disagreement in uh, in the early church about who these authors were. Uh, that's also uh, <clears throat> that's also a good sign. It's also an important fact. So, <clears throat> excuse me. We have Matthew and and John again uh, of the twelve, and <clears throat> Luke, a companion of Paul's, mm -hmm. whom we learn about. Um, excuse me, <clears throat> by name in a couple of Paul's epistles, and we read about his um, uh, companionship with Paul in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark has traditionally been associated with uh, someone called John Mark, who was another companion of the apostles, and the earliest uh, tradition we have about the gospel of Mark is that it's it's Mark's uh, uh, writing down of Peter's preaching. Yeah. Preaching of Peter, the apostle. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, just knowing gospel means the good news. So the entire Bible essentially is the, the gospel uh, message. But yeah, these four gospel accounts, these four books are uh, really centered on you know, gospel accounts of, and it kind that kind of bridges into this part of the question. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus's ministry, what was their purpose? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what was their purpose in writing these accounts of Jesus's ministry? And when's the most likely dating of each of the gospels? Right. So, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. purpose for purpose, um, John is the one is the gospel that is most explicit mm -hmm. about this. Right guys, at the end of the gospel, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys really, uh, you know that uh, particularly in uh, John chapter twenty, verse thirty-one, right towards the end of that chapter, yep. where <clears throat> John reflects a little bit and says that Jesus did many other things um, before his disciples in, uh, in the presence of his disciples, but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So uh, John is very upfront there about the purpose in writing. It's, it is there. He, he's obviously selected. He hasn't told us everything. And mm -hmm. um, I think by the time he wrote, I think the other gospels were in existence. But he's writing this so that you might believe and that you know, we might have life in, in Christ's name. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Christ. So both very important concepts throughout that gospel, Christ and Son of God. 
So <clears throat> John is is the most explicit about that. Um, that we may we might assume is is uh, pretty much what the other gospel writers are intending on doing as well. Um, all of the writers clearly wanted to tell about te Jesus teaching mm -hmm. and his story. That's you know again what we call the gospel. The, the good gospel just means the good news, the good news of what Jesus was pre preaching and teaching about himself and about the kingdom of God. Um, they wanted this message, obviously, to be recorded, to be remembered. And that's mm -hmm. the purpose in writing it down, not only to be remembered, but to be proclaimed. So like Jesus says at the end of Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, uh, that, that this message would be proclaimed to all nations. We have the Great Commission in, um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and we have <clears throat> something similar at the end of of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, mm -hmm. where in both places he, he gives a commission to the uh to the to the apostles to be his witnesses and to make disciples of all nations, right? Mm -hmm. So uh that right there we get uh, we're getting getting at the heart, I think, of of the purpose of these uh these books mm -hmm. to set down permanently in writing. And I think, and maybe we'll get into this later, but I, I think uh, there's some consciousness already that these mm -hmm. are going to function as um, as scriptural or scripture-like documents, mm -hmm. even then. Um, but they're they're going to set forth the, the permanent message about Christ to be proclaimed. Um, if if we think about even how Jesus in very at various places commissioned the gospel, or excuse me, commissioned the apostles to be his witnesses. And, uh, you know, he who hears you, hears me, he tells them. Um, these end up being sort of the, the permanent uh, precipitate, the permanent um, uh, remains of the gospel, of the apostolic teaching about Jesus, the apostolic message of who Jesus is. So they remain as that permanent apostolic deposit as part of that deposit for the church then to build on. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, Jesus talks about building his church in Matthew's gospel and he talks about Peter as the rock and so forth. And some people talk about that. The, it's the witness of Peter. The, the, the church is, he, he's expecting the church to be built. It's going to be built around this, uh, the witness of these apostles. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, as to the dates, um, you know, we could talk. We could talk kind of specifically, but I think one bottom line thing to remember is that all these four gospels, all four of them, are very plausibly dated, and not just by by believers, but by skeptics as well. Most skeptics are uh, uh, most critical scholars, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, plausibly dated before the end of the first century. Yeah. Now again, you you might have you have some people who might date Gospel John a little bit into the second century, but uh, even even critics have has have customarily dated all the Gospels to the first century. And we could argue whether whether Mark was written. A lot of scholars think before seventy A.D. Uh, you could you can make a case that other of the Gospels are that early, whether they are or or are not. They're all written within you might say living memory 
hmm. of people who actually knew Jesus. Yeah, like a single generation between. Right, right, a single generation, like not separated by death and you know by the by the a whole yep. a generation or two where things get yep. lost. Yeah, people who are alive in Jesus' ministry are still alive at the writing of the Gospels. So they would have been able to say like, oh, that's not actually true, whatever the Gospels were saying. Yeah, that's right. the most important part. Yeah, that there's eyewitness accounts, yeah. whether, yeah. So, and I, I think um, it is pretty uh, well evidenced that John was the last one written. And that was around, is maybe as early year AD 70, that may be by the, the earliest account. And then um, Matthew, around 80 to 90, Mark said to be about 64 to 72. And then Luke towards the end of the first century, around there <laughs> nick doesn't know this off memory he's <laughs> reading, reading from reading from people well, like go. he's got these dates nailed down yeah those are just some rough dates from from one of the resources but uh yeah. most yeah. importantly yeah. what uh charles was saying is whether we know a specific day or date or not year it's most importantly that we know these are within the same generation like there's eyewitness accounts right right yeah and yeah, I, I think John is probably the last one, probably written in the 90s when when uh, you know when John is old. But again, people have made a case that John could be you know decades earlier. Mm -hmm. um, as you said, the, the point the point is that they're they're all written within the living memory of people who are actually there, and. Uh, there is has always been they purport to be at least two of them, you know, coming from, from uh, people who are actually with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus' uh, closest circle of 12 disciples and, uh, and the others' reports emanating from that circle and, and others. Mm -hmm. So beyond their theological accounts of Jesus Christ, how do the gospel writers use locations, cultural contexts, and events surrounding his ministry to uh, to make the reliability of their accounts more uh, codified and concrete. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is, is a really interesting thing. I, I think the the main the, the main point here is simply that they they um, uh, substantiate their own uh, reliability. You might say just by uh, recording the authentic life of Jesus as a first century Palestinian Jew. Uh, you know, for, for most of what we would talk about, we, we would probably say, well, the writers weren't trying to do this. They were, they were just writing uh, about what was going on. Uh, the, the knowledge, for instance, the knowledge of, uh, of Judaism of the day, the knowledge of the, uh, the groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the chief priests, the scribes, uh, the, the, the reference to known historical figures such as Pontius Pilate, of course, the Roman governor. Uh, you have the names in John's gospel of, of two of the high priests, Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the current high priest at the time. And these are these are actual you know, people that you know they're they're mentioned by Josephus or other historians. Um, we have customs, Jewish customs, uh, having to do with the feasts or various practices. 
We have geographical details. Um, all of these things that are, uh, you might say, part just part of the warp and woof of the of the culture of the time of the first century, of first century Palestine, Jewish Palestine under Roman rule. Uh, and one of the points to remember here is that uh, most of the uh, other gospels that we might talk about later mm -hmm. from the second century lack these things, mm -hmm. or they're very they're very um, uh, secondary or, or tertiary in their understanding. They're sort of dependent upon on what we've had what mm -hmm. we have in the four gospels. So they they evince this sort of natural flow of the you know knowing the countryside, knowing the geography, knowing the customs, uh, even even in terms of John sometimes giving. Uh, the Hebrew name for something, hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, the, just the the uh, the Messiah, which is translated Christ. You know, hmm. he'll, he'll give us several several of those where where he gives a uh, Hebrew or Ara Aramaic name, and then he gives a Greek name that's hmm. of course translated into English in our Bibles. But but even the you get a little bit of the linguistic peculiarities. Uh, these come through a little bit in the other Gospels as well. Hmm. Uh, you know, Jesus' words on the cross, uh, lama, lama, uh, uh, with, with his quotation of the psalm there on the cross in Aramaic or Hebrew, and then uh, a translation of that. So, Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's helpful. That's because it's they're not like you said, they're not trying to like impose these geographical details like, hey, look how real this is. But it's just because it's where they live. They're like, this is where it happened. So it's what I say, because they're not they're not they're not what you're saying. They're not consciously trying to substantiate this is like they were there. So they wrote about it. Yeah, yeah, they're they're very conscious of of the history that they're living through. Uh, and particularly, I think you you get that well. You get it in various ways in the different gospels, but but uh, Luke even mentions you know the the, the Caesar, you know the decree that went out under Caesar Augustus, and you have uh, uh, other mention of other Roman uh, authorities mm -hmm. throughout. And uh, so it's it's important that they they regarded what they were telling as anchored in history. It was mm -hmm. a historical account. And this is even this has always been picked up on as important. Even in the Apostles' Creed, we have hmm. crucified um, under Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. uh, Pontius Pilate is why? Why Pontius Pilate? Where? Who? Who is he? Well, he's the Roman governor at the time. Mm -hmm. it, it sets it sets the, this uh, event at that time in history. Historical proof. Yeah. 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 Time and place. Yeah. And you've already kind of. Um, peeked into this, and so we'll we'll dive into a little bit deeper. Um, but with manuscripts, gospel manuscripts, and fragments, and, and copies, and we can talk about the codices, like this kind of book form. Um, mm -hmm. But what what did they tell us about the nature of what the gospel writers were writing? And then, like you said, were they aware that they were writing scripture, which may have um, kind of push them to write it in a certain way or on certain fragments or just like to put it together in a certain way with other things if, if that makes sense 
Mm, yeah, and I think we could <clears throat> we could probably tease that out in a couple, uh, at least a couple questions there. But if, yeah, to try to uh, address the first thing you said about uh, our earliest gospel manuscripts or fragments and what they might have to tell us about the works themselves. Uh, this, excuse me, <clears throat> this might have more to do with with the reception than with the, the books themselves, that is how the how the early Christians regarded these books. But uh, one really fascinating thing about the material evidence that we have is that all of our, almost all, virtually all, with a couple of uh, exceptions, all of our copies of Gospels, in fact, all of our early Christian copies of Scripture, were written on what we would call a, a codex. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who are not familiar with that, that word codex, it's simply talking about the format. It's what we normally think of as a book. We mm -hmm. have to have a book with pages and a spine and you flip the pages. That's, we think about the book, that's, we call that a codex form as opposed to what? Well, as opposed to a roll or a scroll. So we all know what a scroll is. We've seen scrolls rolled out and so forth. The typical form of, of literature, the typical format for conveying literature in the ancient world at the time when Jesus lived was the scroll. Mm -hmm. And that was the case in Greek, Roman, and in Jewish uh, settings. At the time of the, the New Testament's writing, the writing of the books of the New Testament, the codex was just, just sort of coming into being as a, as a, as a carrier of literature. Uh, it was a brand new, not a brand new thing, but brand new, you might say, for uh, for carrying actual books instead of just notebooks and things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, one way that I think Christians are setting apart their holy books is by copying them into codices instead of onto the norm, the normal format, which was the role. Mm -hmm. Now, eventually, eventually everything, almost everything is going to be going to codex because the whole, the, there's a sort of a cultural movement at the time. Uh, there, from the end of this first century AD to about the fourth century, there's an evolution. By the time we get to the fourth, fifth, sixth century, most literature and Greek literature is put on codices. But the Christians seem to be in the, in, in the in advanced guard of, uh, of this mm -hmm. movement in putting their scriptures in codex form, in what we call book form. Um, well, why is that significant? Because uh, most of their other works early on were, as far as we can tell, were, were still not put in codex form. Mm. So early on, I think we have a, 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 we have a, a more, more or less distinct, distinct uh, categorization. Um, most of the non-canonical gospels, well, at least half or more than half, are written in, are put on rolls or scrolls. Um, they're not in codex form. Some of them are. Mm -hmm. Some of them that maybe were especially made, you, you might say, that the, the, uh, the scribes wanted them to look like um, the canonical gospels. Yeah. Put them into codex form. 
Um, but early on, we seem to have a kind of a distinction between the codex and the role. So that's that's one thing. That tells us, I think, that Christians were trying to separate uh, these scriptural books from mm -hmm. other books. Uh, another thing I would mention is uh, something we might call paratextual features. Mm -hmm. That is, not the text itself on the on the on the scroll or on the codex, but what surrounds it. I mean, that is when you think of a book today, we take a lot of things for granted, like you know the page size of the page, the spacing of the words. Are they are they small print, large print, paragraphing, and so on? Things that make a book easier to read. Mm -hmm. Well. Greek literature in general at the time was very non-user friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all cramped together, no spaces between words, spaces between paragraphs, sentences, and so forth. But in the earliest Christian manuscripts we have of scripture, we start to see little distinctions being made, mm -hmm. spaces between paragraphs or even sometimes sentences. Uh, the very early embryonic use of punctuation uh, larger print, that is, you know, larger uh, writing, more legible uh, script, things like these that that make that make the enterprise of reading uh, more dem uh, democratic, you might say, uh, easier to read for more people. Mm. And I think that that does speak to uh, what that, that Christians wanted these books to be read. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry Hurtado is a scholar who's done a lot of work on that and that topic. Um, others have as well. I, I hear, you, hear you say you and have Mike Kruger on, or you've already talked to Mike yeah. Kruger. Yeah. Uh, he and other scholars, uh, uh, we've been tr trying to draw attention to to these uh, these paratextual features as well. Hmm. But uh, I'd say those those two things uh, tell us a lot about how the Christians perceived these gospels as opposed to others perceived their scriptures as opposed to other books. Hmm. Yeah. Not in any, in any kind of, you know, absolute way. Yeah. Because yeah. as I say, things are evolving all yep. the time. All these features are going to be eventually um, sort of standard hmm. in books, but Christians, it's kind of uncanny. I think we're, we're doing these, these kinds of things, from a very early time, mm. particularly with their scriptural uh, mm. manuscripts. Mm. Hey, all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible Study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step -step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guiltgrace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, 
and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. John Calvin said that faith is the axis around which everything in the Christian life rotates. And what a truth this is. And this year, Westminster Seminary California's annual conference will be focusing on faith specifically, exploring various facets of doctrine and life as they touch upon the centrality of our faith in this Christian life. And bringing these messages are Westminster's own and my former professors, including Dr. Michael Horton on the Anchor of Faith, Dr. W. Robert Godfrey on the Crisis of Faith, Dr. Craig Troxell on the Heart of Faith, Dr. Bradley Bittner on the Hope of Faith, and Westminster President Joel Kim on the Gift of Faith. This conference is a delight because it's a really unique opportunity to listen to these seasoned pastors and theologians share from God's Word to help us in our Christian pilgrimage. There are few conferences, if any, with so much theological power and such a small and intimate package. And in tandem with this annual conference is another seminary for a day where you can attend classes, meet professors and students, see the campus, and so much more. I myself did this in March of 2019, and I loved it. If you come, you're eligible to receive a $400 travel grant to cover your expenses. From faith to faith, the power of God for the Christian life is happening January 13th to 14th, and registration is open now. Go to www.wscal.edu slash conference for more information and to save your spots or go to our show notes for the same link and reserve your spots. Westminster Seminary, California for Christ, his gospel, and his church. Hey guys, a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10 volume series of William Perkins, who a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote the Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon uh, sells them. So if you guys go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books. We'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out, and hopefully this is good. Yeah, and so... We'll, we'll talk about that as well with, with this next question. Um, and like you said, there's other, other texts around this, around, the, around this time, and it does seem to be distinguished between these. And it's not distinguished in history. It's just, it, like you said, it comes earlier um, than this. But for like, as, like you said, there's people who know, and there's, I mean, large articles and very influential books that have been written, um, that these are not the only four gospel accounts, that there's many more. And so... Christians were politically motivated to only have four and kind of exclude all the rest. Uh, so maybe what, what are some of the major 
extra canonical accounts or non um, what we say biblical accounts of the gospels uh, and maybe how and why do they differ from the canonical gospels that we have now? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question, important question. It's also a very large question. <laughs> yeah, is there? Uh, yes, it, it is true. There were once many more gospels than are four. Uh, one scholar I like to quote uh, would, would quip that uh, gospels were once breeding like rabbits, <laughs> um, uh, which is kind of uh, funny, but uh, not quite not quite like rabbits, I would say. Uh, there weren't that many, but there were certainly, uh, you might say, well, we don't know how many Gospels there yeah. were, but but uh, many more than the four, let's say uh -huh. 8, 10, 12, there's no way of knowing for sure. But some of these were would be that maybe some of your listeners will have heard of the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Gospel of Peter, the mm -hmm. Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Truth, the uh, Proto-Gospel of James, uh, the Gospel of Mary. Uh, there are there are several. The Gospel of the Hebrews, the Gospel mm -hmm. of the Ebionites. Uh, one of the main thing to remember, main things to remember, I think about all of these Gospels, is that they're all later than. And practically all of them are dependent upon hmm. one or more of the four Gospels, hmm. uh, the canonical ones. Now, this is not really too much debated, even. I mean, not most, uh, I mean, any critical scholar would say this. The most they might say is that they might say that some parts of some of the other Gospels could be as old as, and if you're really a radical scholar, you might say it could be even older than one of you know, our, our gospels like some people have said parts of the gospel of thomas mm -hmm. could be could be that old even at the even at best these scholars would even say that the present form of the gospel of thomas the only form we know is dependent upon the four gospels they might they're they're trying to argue well this part of it this saying <laughs> here mm -hmm. might be older than matthew's gospel of thomas is not um well it's not a gospel yeah, and if you've read it, it's it's a strange it's a strange that's, book. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It, it's when I say not a gospel, it's it's not a narrative. Yeah, it's it not at all. Tell the gospel story. There's just no like story, little clips, no like little yeah, like little principles. Yeah, right. Principles. It's sayings. It's it's like 114 sayings of Jesus that are weird. Yeah, if you've read them, they're really strange. <laughs> Yeah, some of them are really strange. Some of them, I'll have to say, some of them are almost exactly what yeah. we read in, yep. in the yep. Synoptic Gospels. Yep. Okay, so it's, it's like they, it's like the author has taken from here and there. Yep. He's taken from the four Gospels. He's taken some other sayings that you know may have arisen here or there. People have attributed such and such a saying to Jesus. And like you said, uh, Peter, some of them uh, sound pretty, pretty off the wall. <laughs> yeah. uh, Yes, uh, something, uh, you know, there's one about Mary, Mary having to become a male. Yep. Um, yeah, right at the end. Yeah. Yeah, right at, right at the end. And, <laughs> you know, this is, this gets kind of into sort of a, you know, Gnosticizing ideas. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah it, so it's a, it's a, it's a collection of a bunch of different sayings from different sources. Hmm. 
that's that's the Gospel of Thomas. That's the one that, that you might say is the the greatest uh, darling of a lot of uh, scholars, mm -hmm. because I think because it it looks so much like what they imagine hmm. a proto gospel would have looked like. They would they imagine that uh, you know the, the 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 source the hypothetical source called Q uh, may have looked like that. Some scholars think you know Matthew and uh, and and Luke used along with Mark. So anyway, that that's maybe getting a little too much into the weeds, but hmm. uh, that so that's one main thing I think is to remember that all of these you can argue some of them show it more than others. Some of some of them are so different from the Gospels it's hard to see, but they're they're later they're all later than mm -hmm. and they're almost all dependent upon the canonical Gospels. Uh, another thing I would say is that not all of these Gospels are, you might say, overtly heretical. Hmm. Um, some of them are, you might say, just attempts to retell hmm. the Gospel story that we have, maybe amalgamating, combining some of the accounts in the other Gospels together and synthesizing them and then adding some, adding some other stuff, like the Gospel of Peter. Is 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 sort of like that, or the the Gospel of the Hebrews, um, very closely related to our Synoptic Gospels. Look like somebody has has uh, thrown in some other stories, um, and they have um, in in a way try to amalgamate what we have in the other Gospels. They're not overtly heretical. They're probably wrong or tending in a bad direction in some some cases. Um, uh, yeah, we, I won't go into, into, into any details there, but they're they're not overtly trying to teach false doctrine. There are other gospels, however, that you can't say that about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're really trying to teach a very different religion. You might say we might might call these the Gnosticizing gospels, for lack of a of a better world a word. Uh, they they teach a different version of Christianity. You know of a uh, of a of a uh, the the world let's say created by a uh, a god a lesser god who is not good he's evil he's uh, and and the whole material creation is a blooper you know is a mistake so you and then Jesus comes to save the non material aspect of humanity and so forth and so on. So you have some some gospels like that. Those tend to be, interestingly enough, put out as you might say secret gospels. Hmm. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas itself starts out like this: These are the hidden words of Jesus, hmm. the hidden or secret words of Jesus. Well, there are several of these gospels that have that kind of uh, tenor to them. These are the secret words of James. These are the secret words that he you know that he recorded. Uh, these are the secret words of James or the secret words of Thomas that Jesus told him. Um, what are they saying when they say these are the secret words of Jesus? Well, they're admitting that there are some public, well-known words hmm. of Jesus, right? So you, it's like you know that you know the news. You know, Paul Harvey used to say, "Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story." Hmm. Right now, I'm going to tell you what the Gospels don't say. So, hmm. um, so by saying premise, that, it's already assuming that the Gospels have said something. Then, exactly. Exactly. So they, they actually pitch themselves as apocryphal. And I say that because mm -hmm. the, the word 
the word for secret or hidden that I've been saying, you know, these are the hidden words of Thomas. That word in Greek is apocryphon. This is these are the apocryphal. That's why they got the the title apocryphal gospels. So by their own admission, you might say, they are they're apocryphal. They're secret. They're not the public or the well known. The, what everybody knows already. Hmm. So in in right right there, they're they're saying, you know, this is special knowledge. Uh, we're reserving for the few, hmm. and um, you you already know. You can easily find out what the church hmm. teaches about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Before Nick goes, it, it kind of, maybe to tie a bow on this, it kind of seems by implication, if they truly were quote unquote fighting with the other gospels for like top spot, they wouldn't have said were the hidden things. They would have just said like, yeah, this is what Jesus said. Right. Right. They wouldn't have, they have to create a space for themselves. It's like, because these are too well known. You'd say, well, when did that happen in Jesus ministry? Well, these, these tend to be put after the resurrection that's why they tend to be like post-resurrection uh hmm. the ones that have any kind of setting gospel thomas doesn't really have a setting but like the apocryphon of james has a setting after the resurrection because you have to say well when did jesus say this you know well oh it was after the resurrection it was some gotcha. some uh some point at which the gospels are silent yeah or the proto-evangelium the pre-event pre-gospel of of james does the same thing before jesus before the gospel mostly mm. before the gospels the main story of the gospel starts mm. um so what happened with with uh with mary and so forth uh so uh yeah that a lot of several of them tend to be filling in gaps in the gospels like here's what you here's you know what the gospels say mm. and now i'm going to tell you something secret mm. That's helpful. Yeah. Sound sounds kind of like the point of that um, is that we can only say the the four canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would be inspired, written by the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, we can't say these these other gospels that aren't canonical are written by the divine Holy Spirit, right? Well, I I would agree with that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's critical I scholars would agree, but yeah, we would agree. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. lot, a lot of critical scholars, of course, would would not agree with that. Um, they, you know, they would. You you could take the claims of some of these other gospels at face value and say, hey, well, you know, they got these these words from Jesus. You know, so what's wrong with that? Uh, that's what the other gospels say. Um, but of, of course, you don't. It, it's not just a matter of of what uh, a gospel. Anybody can claim something in writing, right? Um, part of that is how the that word, uh, you might say, proves itself. How it proves itself in the lives of people. How it is uh, received by people. Um, whether these, these, uh, these words and these stories uh, ring true to life, whether they change lives. Um, and of course, it has to do as well with, you might say, what what's behind them—the tradition or the the uh, the authorship, the um, the background to these particular gospels, as well as the overall message. Um, you know, Jesus asked his disciples, "Are they going to turn away?" And you know, they told him, "Where shall we go? Yep. You have the yep. words of eternal life." 
Um, Jesus' words, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. These words recorded in, in our gospels have stood the test of time. They have yep. actually not, not passed away over mm -hmm. 2,000 years. Um, so they've, they've proved themselves that way, um, as, as well as having the, uh, you might say that going back to the commission to the apostles that I mentioned before, uh, in various places, Jesus commissions his apostles to be his witnesses in ways that we are not. We continue to be his witnesses in, 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 in the way we can be, but we're not. We were not authorized and commissioned like Jesus' apostles were to speak his words. Uh, John, in John's gospel, uh, mentions, uh, records Jesus' speech in chapters 14 and 16, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says uh, that, that uh, the spirit that he gives, the Holy Spirit, will, will give them remembrance, chapter 14, of all the things I've said to you. Chapter 16, he says that the spirit will guide you into all truth. Uh, for then this, the, for then the, this um, author, John, to write these things in a book shows us, I think, a consciousness that he is he's actually doing what Jesus said the spirit would help him do. That is, re remember these things and be guided in, in the truth. That's his his claim, you might say, to the spirit's guidance, the spirit's uh, work of of uh, causing him to remember these things, causing him to understand. Several times, John mentions, you know, the disciples didn't understand this at the time, but after he ra was raised from the dead, they understood these things. So he has this spirit guidance. Um, another thing in in about John in particular. Remember in Jesus' prayer in John 17, Jesus prays not only for his disciples, but he says, for those who will believe in me through their word, hmm. those who will believe in me through their word, believe in me through their word. And then remember what, G what John says at the end of the gospel, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So, in effect, Jesus is praying for the readers of the of John's gospel. You know, John is he's saying he's praying for those who will believe through the word of these apostles, and then John writes these words down so that we might believe. Hmm. So it uh, again, John is more explicit, where the other gospel writers are more implicit. But even even there, as I, as I mentioned before, if you if you're writing the words of Jesus when he says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away if you're writing those words down you're expecting that those words are going to endure right mm -hmm. um, they they expected i think these words to endure uh even in mark's gospel we have this jesus saying that uh, the, the woman who anointed his feet he says what she has done will be told in remembrance of her mm -hmm. you know um the, the, this is going to go on it's it's going to this this message and eventually this writing it's going to be put into writing is going to be uh, permanent um so yeah i think that's a little bit about their consciousness mm -hmm. of of writing 
you might say, inspired words, words that are going to function continually as the church's scripture, as um, uh, what's going to guide and lead and guide the church. Yeah. Yeah. And my last question would be, uh, we talked a little bit about um, some uh, writings outside of the Bible, uh, but what about some, uh, in general, what about some outside the Bible um, sources, writings, or anything like that, that would actually support, even like, for example, historically support mm -hmm. the accounts in the Gospels? Mm-hmm. Right. You, you, have, um, you have a number of pagan writers who very early in the Christian movement will, will say something about Christians. Mm -hmm. They might say something a little bit about Christ, even uh, uh, Tacitus, um, the, the Roman historian, Pliny the Younger. Um, they will mention Christians. They don't really mention the Gospels. But they, they, they do support the idea that uh, Christians believed that Christ, their Christ, had risen from the dead. Mm -hmm. uh, they were worshipers of Jesus. Ta uh, Pliny the Younger, you know, fills us in on this in the early part of the second century. Uh, they they worship Jesus as a God, he says. And, uh, of course, you, you have a debated uh, section in, in Josephus. Where he talks about Jesus, he actually mentions John the Baptist as well. So not he doesn't mention the Gospels, but he mentions, you know, elements of the mm -hmm. Gospel story, including Jesus and John. Um, one thing that I think is important is interesting from the second century. Some of the earliest critics uh, of the Gospels and of Christianity, like uh, Celsus, yep. uh, from the mid -sec second century. Uh, Origen, the church father, eventually wrote a treatise against Celsus. But Celsus was a critic of Christianity. Uh, he criticized some of the things that the gospel said about Jesus. But what's interesting to me is that uh, he doesn't contest that these are authentic accounts. That is, that they were written by Jesus' actual followers. Uh, one, one of the first things that uh, criticism does in our day, modern criticism, is it, it uh, it casts doubt on, is skeptical of the authorship, the very authorship of these Gospels. Where did they come from? Uh, it's interesting that so close to the events, you know, just in the second century, uh, these authors didn't really question that these came from Jesus' disciples. They had arguments, of course, about who Jesus was, and they didn't, they didn't necessarily believe it. Um, even, even some of the, um, you might say, the Gnostic Gospels, um, one of their uh, tactics was to say, and this kind of fits in what, what we were saying before about the Gnosticizing Gospels. Um, yeah, the, the, the apostles wrote this, but we have secret knowledge beyond what the apostles give you in the Gospels. So in other words, they accepted, they, they didn't contest mm -hmm. that the, the four Gospels are apostolic mm. by apostles or, or by, by their companions. But they said they, they wanted to do the apostles one better, you might say. Hmm. So, yeah, 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 we know the, the, what the apostles said, but, but here's some secret teaching that only one apostle got, or what Jesus revealed to Mary, or, or to, you know, somehow we have this secret teaching. So that's, that's interesting to me that uh, they, they didn't really contest 
the the basic authenticity of those documents. They just wanted to go one better. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and to to maybe skip one of my questions, which you've already kind of answered on this, but uh, maybe to dig a little bit deeper before before we end this on um because there's there's the arguments that the gospels weren't really selected until the fourth century at some council or um that christians really did this but you 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 kind of tease this that it seems like the gospel writers are are conscious of what they're doing um they know what they're writing and they're expecting people to read this in that vein and so maybe how how would you describe what you said like this consciousness of these gospel writers where they're not like well, one day in the future, like we're not really sure what we're writing, and then later on, Christians like, well, that's the gospel accounts. That's 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 inspired yeah. stuff. But they're like they're writing, expecting people to to receive this as scripture. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Uh, <clears throat> and just uh, quickly to, to review again what what um, John says about his consciousness of of uh, writing with the Holy Spirit's guidance. He will guide you into all truth. That's John 16. He will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance what I've said to you, John, John 14, 26. Um, you have just the, just the way that Matthew's gospel begins, if you've ever thought about that, you know, um, uh, the, the book of the generations of, of Jesus Christ, you know, it, um, it, it starts out sounding very much the book of the genealogy or the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It starts out like very much like uh, a part of the book of Genesis mm -hmm. to remind it as if just to fit in with, you know, this is now a new installment of, of, um, of, of scripture. Mm -hmm. John, of course, very famously begins just how Genesis begins in the beginning. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him. He starts with creation and even before creation, right? So the the very deliberate connections to the Old Testament, uh, even the beginnings of the Old Testament in those two gospels, the way that all the gospels connect with the Old Testament as promise and fulfillment, the way that all the gospels seem conscious of Jesus' commission to his apostles to be his authoritative witnesses. You know, he who hears you hears me. He, he who rejects you rejects me. Um, and the, the various commissionings that, that we read in the Gospels to the apostles. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, these the, the, the notion that uh, you know, recording the words, you know, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Recording those in a book sort of uh, insinuates that this book is part of that hmm. uh, legacy that's that's not going to pass away. Hmm. We see this, I, I think, right from the beginning. Part of the argument that I think is often left out, often missed, is it wasn't the case, as you sometimes get the impression reading certain works, it wasn't the case that People woke up in the second century and thought, you know, there are a lot of gospels running around circulating. We ought to try to, we ought to try to pare them down to a, just yeah. a handful, right? No, these gospels were apparently functioning within some church or churches from the very beginning. They were leaving a legacy. They were building a legacy 
all the way through. That's why the other gospels, as we mentioned, are dependent upon them. Well, naturally, they, they, these gospels had laid a, a foundation. Even in other New Testament works, mm-hmm. okay, Paul may not quote, you know, with a formula or something, quoting a, a gospel per se, although 1 Timothy 5.18, he does say, you know, Scripture says, um, you know, First, you shall not muzzle uh, an ox treading out the grain and a laborer is worthy of his wages, which last part comes only from Luke's gospel. Mm. You know, but there there are that that's there. There's that. But even like when Paul talks about the the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. you know, this is it, it may not be word for word, but it's what we have in the synoptic gospels. Uh, these gospels are telling the story that. Christians have all, always absorbed and and built the church on. So the other the later gospels don't don't include these things that are that are referenced even if they're just alluded to in in other even New Testament works. Uh, even the Book of Acts, there are allusions back to what happened in the the gospel story. Uh, so these these gospels, these four gospels are. Are, are laying that apostolic foundation for the church, even as the New Testament is being completed. And in the earliest of the church fathers, we have uh, allusions to the same stories. Uh, eventually, we have more uh, close quotations mm-hmm. and even eventually attributions to these, these mm-hmm. gospels. It doesn't mean that they never, ever read anything else, but these four gospels are... Uh, are the bedrock, you might say. Um, they're they're always there, forming. I would say the life of the church, the life and the witness of the church. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. So as as we end, um, maybe just so our listeners are aware of some of these things, what is there? It, maybe if it's different than what we've seen before, but is there any like kind of current debates going on in the gospels that they may find that? may not have been the debates going on for a while. They're like if they read the newspaper, if they read in a book, they're like, oh, I've I've heard of this mm-hmm. before. Um just just so they're not like freaking out. They're like, oh, this is new. I haven't heard of this before. But is there any current debates that are different than what we've seen before? Oh yeah. There, they, I mean, there are some some new ones I can think of. It's hard to know what, you know, which ones might uh, yeah. escape the lab, you might say, and get <laughs> yeah. into the, the populace. Yeah. Um but there's there's one that it argues that the gospels were not written ever to be were not even written as books hmm. they were written, just written as notes uh sort of preaching notes or uh what have you and that um they were meant to be changed built on adapted uh not meant to be finished looked at as finished documents okay there's that one, and uh, I, uh, I, I think the the um, the author of that idea has um, he, he bases a lot on the use of a particular word that one or two of the uh, uh, church fathers uses to describe the gospels as uh, upo nemata, uh, which is a word that can mean notes. But it can also mean it can also be used for a, a finished work, 
hmm. like a commentary. It's often used to to uh, talk about a commentary. Um, and it's it's clear from many other from many other um, factors, many other uh, sources that these were considered books, actual books, finished finished books that were not to be tampered with. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going against a lot of a lot of other evidence, a lot of counter evidence. Um, the very you know John's Gospel itself calls calls itself a book. There mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, there are he says uh, you know many things that are not written in this book in this mm -hmm. book, but these are written that you might believe. And at the very end of the gospel, he says, you know, if we were to write down everything Jesus did. There were, you know, the, the world couldn't contain all the books that, that are written, that could mm -hmm. be written, right? Um, so he, he, he alludes to his own work as a, as a book, a real yep. book. Um, and uh, we know, everything we know from the early church uh, would, would tell us that these, these work, books are, are not to be added, uh, added to or taken mm -hmm. away from. Uh, even as early as, as, the, as Papias of Hierapolis in the early part of the second century, uh, he knows two, at least two, in, in one area where you see this quotes him, he talks about two gospels by name, uh, Matthew, one attributed to Matthew, one attributed to Mark, as the preaching of Peter. So hmm. uh, from very early on, these are conceived of as books, um, not as books in and of, the, of themselves, in their own rights, not just sort of notebooks that anybody can add to, subtract from. Mm. So I would say there's that. Um, maybe I'll just uh, just keep it that. Right yeah, now. no, that, that works. Wait for the others. Wait for the others to escape the lab. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Doctor Doctor Hill, thank you so much for um, giving us your research, giving us your findings, writing a couple books on this, and. Um, talking through some of the issues in the Gospels, manuscripts, and consciousness for the Gospel writers about what they're writing, and um, so many things that I think our, our listeners are going to really benefit from, and um, hopefully learn a little bit more about the Gospels, and um, if they didn't have the confidence, hopefully they have more confidence in to, to research some of this than to read them for themselves, but um, yeah, thank you for coming on, talk about the Gospels, talk about your work, it's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, as you mentioned, if there's uh, if they're interested in this kind of thing, there's more in who chose the Gospels. Yep. Uh, and of course, the the biggest, the 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 the, the best advice that that I can give is simply to read the Gospels. Yep. 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 Yeah. Read read the Gospel for yeah. If you if you're a critic, the whatever. Read read the Gospels for yourselves, and then yeah, yeah, and then make up your mind from there. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's always yeah good sound advice, and to to know who Jesus is and how you could be saved. Um, Amen. Yeah, so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, hopefully we can have you on have you on again in the future. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even 
since our episodes the second that we record them instead of having to wait for episodes to come out so look at that see what you want to do as part of that we have a goal to get about a thousand dollars a month that's to cover some costs get some new equipment and just hire some people as well and also if you guys can rate and review us on itunes on spotify on any one of your podcasting platforms this is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing so we hope to see you guys next week